Our scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2 to 10. Eli's eyes had begun to fail, so that he was unable to see well. At that time, he was lying down in his place, and the lamp of God had not yet been extinguished. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord as well. The ark of, the, the ark of God was also there. The Lord called to Samuel, and he, he replied, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. For you called me, but Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down. The Lord again called Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, my son. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Then the Lord called Samuel a third time. So he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Eli then realized that it was the Lord that was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, Go back and lie down. When he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went back and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood nearby, calling as he had previously done, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel replied, speak for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your presence here in this place today. We thank you that we can gather freely here in Canada and worship you. And while there are many pressures upon us, we know that this is a privilege. And God, as we enter into this teaching time, opening up some concepts from the scriptures Lord, I can't change anybody's hearts or mind. I am a saint and sinner in process, dealing with delusion as well, wrestling and leaning into the truth. So come, Holy Spirit, breathe and illuminate us. Illuminate the word, the scriptures to us today. Move in this place that we might, might experience a little bit of who you are and be changed, leaving here a little bit differently than we came in because we took the time to enter into real flesh-to-flesh, face-to-face, living, breathing community In Jesus' name. And if you will say amen, Amen. be seated, please. I'm still very apprehensive here on holiday weekends and long weekends because I'm just learning how that works here in Canada still as being an immigrant uh, myself in a new country, in a new land. I feel a little bit like uh, Ruth's story there and uh, Ruth and Naomi, but uh, thankfully my wife hasn't died, so we're good. All right. Um, (laughs) The... um, the, the, the series we've been going through here at Pilgrim uh, every other week, we've been doing two series, one going through a book of the Bible, First Peter, and then we've been doing a short topical series on a topic. Uh, and this has been about being triggered and how do we experience transformation. And of, of course, in some ways, we talk about this topic all of the time in the Christian church, uh, but we wanted to spend a few series, few messages on this. And this is the fourth message in a series about this idea of being triggered And in this particular message, I want to focus in on the idea of spiritual hearing and seeing. How do we actually hear and see God? And so I want to encourage you to take notes. There's an outline in the bulletin or the newsletter you received as you came in this morning. If you didn't get one, you can run back to the back, and and I'm sure Heather or or Shannon will give you one if you ask nicely. Um, And I want you to really sort of drill into some of these concepts, because some of them We're going to just scratch the surface, but I would encourage you to go deeper, okay? Fair enough, yes? Yes, okay, all right. And uh, so this morning, we we want to dig into that. The sort of blurb, if we were to summarize what we're talking about again, is this idea of how do we see 
and hear God? How do we experience God? And how does that bring about transformation? In our church, we have a core value at Pilgrim of being one of five core values. One of them is valuing this idea of transformation. In fact, I'd encourage you to look on your screen and read it with me out loud this morning. I would invite you to do that. Would you do that with me, everybody? Let's read this together. Uh, Pilgrim core value, transformation. Jesus changes everything. We are saved from the power of sin by his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit does an ongoing work in us so that we reflect the fullness of Jesus, enabling us to be catalysts of change in the world. Transformation, core value in our church that we are leaning into this morning. But how do we experience that? How do we hear God in such a way that it brings about new life and new identity within us? Fu read this wonderful story from the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible about the call of the prophet Samuel. And as a young man, his mother devoted him to the Lord. He was sort of this unique story of his birth. And so he's in the temple And it's interesting what's going on in this passage, the the voice of the Lord. We don't know if it was an audible voice or if it was an internal voice. I tend to think it was something within his mind that the Lord was waking him up from sleep. Therefore, the prophet, the old priest in the temple, Eli, could not hear the voice. But Eli knew the voice enough that he finally recognized what was going on with Samuel. Samuel was experiencing spiritual hearing in his mind as a young man serving in the temple. Some other core verses that we want to talk about this morning that sort of set the stage, as it were, are from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here there's something important in this key verse for all of these triggered series, that there is a squeezing of the mold of the world. That in our cultures around us, there is a kingdom of God breaking into the world in its brokenness. And then there's also this world force of evil that works to try to squeeze us into its mold, into its way of thinking. Walter Brueggemann uses the language of totalism, royal totalism. That the politics and the ways of being in the world, we are to see that as secondary as kingdom of God's citizens, kingdom of God's love first. But that group, that, that world power wants to become dominant. And what that means is it wants to squeeze you into its totalism, its ultimate claims on your identity and your life. And it manifests in various ways through nationalism, through, through uh, uh, tribalism, through uh, social economic division, um, all of these ways that it tries to force you into its mold of getting your identity. And so the Christian church pushes against that and says, no, in fact, there's a deeper, better way of being human. And it's by getting your identity first in the love of God in Jesus Christ. Even here in modern Canada, we we think about freedom, and yet we are being squeezed into the mold. Our sexual identity needs to be at the top of the heap, or our politics as we are in election season need to be at the top of the heap of our identity, or our tribe, we only identify with these kinds of people, whether we're talking about ethnicity or social class or economics or education. But the kingdom says there's a better way of being human, a, a better intention that God originally designed and that is rooted in the outrageous love of who he is. And all those other things either become properly aligned or declared idols as we put Jesus at the center. Well, let's keep going. That's not my sermon today. But Hebrews 12, this was sung today a little bit, says this, starting in verses 1 and verse 2. It says, therefore, since you are surrounded... By such a great cloud of witnesses of those who've gone before, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then verse 2, this is what we sang in that last song. says this, fixing, fixing, say it with me, fixing. Come on, say it with fixing. All right, all right. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you see this image, first off in Samuel, this hearing of the voice of the Lord, and then in Romans, this idea that there is a role we have in taking captive our thoughts and the way we process reality. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that there is something about how we use our mind or what we might call our imagination about that brings about transformation and empowerment in the midst of whatever else might be going on in life. A few more verses and then we'll just get into the rest of the topic. In 2 Corinthians 4.6, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says this, For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. So there's something going on in terms of God's glory and this experience of who God is that transforms us. In chapter 318, it's the same theme. And all we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. He says, when we contemplate Jesus, when we think about Jesus, life teachings, the historic Jesus, the the, the tradition of Christ that comes forth and revealed by the church and teaching, he says, when we contemplate Christ and his glory, his, his crucifixion, a God who dies for us, when we think about that and we actually get a picture of the cross and what that means, it actually enables a transformation to take place. There's something powerful that can happen. But I don't know about you, it took me a long time for the church, for me to experience someone actually teaching me about this. Sometimes we catch it in church and worship or we get caught up. So they talk about play and the anointing of the spirit and all of that. But sometimes I just want someone to tell me, what is going on here? And here we look at these verses, it says there's something about contemplation in your mind that empowers transformation and change within you. It's not good enough to go by information alone. The Western lie is that if we have enough information in the facts, somehow we will come to truth and everything will be fine. But we know that facts alone and information alone isn't enough to change us. Otherwise, all of us would be uh, perfect models of health. All of us would have wonderfully re- wonderful relationships because we'd be implementing all of the Gottman Institute principles on healthy relationships. All of us would be walking gods and goddesses and, and buff and brazen, whatever, you know. I mean, all of us would have driving around in our, I mean, all of us economics would be all perfect. If, if information was enough to change you, we'd all be perfect. But you know information is not enough to change us. It may be in one area where you're already naturally gifted or you were set up because of family or because of whatever uh, in any sort of way where you, you sort of walk into that and you're like, oh, it's all me. Look at my skills and my talents and my abilities. Well, it may be a little bit for sure. But then there's other areas of everyone's life that are not where they need to be. If information alone changed us, then with the advent of Google, we would all be perfect, right? Amen? Is that the case, beloved brothers and sisters? This is an obvious question. This is a rhetorical question, but I still want you to answer it out loud. Is it the case that the advent of the search engine, that we all have all the information, that we are now all perfect and transformed? Yes or no? 
wow, like half of you believe it's possible. Okay, all right, well, we'll keep. <laughs> if you're new here, I, I, I solicit feedback. You do not have to participate. It's just how I'm wired. Thank you for those of you that do. Um, Paul goes on. Let me read just a few more, one more passage from 1 Corinthians. Paul says this, For though we live in the world, and by world Paul means all of that which is, we do not wage war as the world does. This is interesting here. Christians are not to be people who, uh, well, here's what he says. He says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish, and he defines this, we demolish arguments and every pretension or bad or false imagination that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There is a war going on in your head right now, this morning, in this place, that the enemy wants to dull you and make you numb to some of what we're talking about here. Because if he can convince you that your mind, you have no say-so, that you have no control over your thoughts or emotions, then he has won the battle. And then we become driven sort of by every other influence that's on us without owning our own influence, without taking up our own authority. Well, let me move a little farther into this this morning. This is a topic I'm passionate about. And so I apologize if as I get more excited about a topic, I tend to speak faster, all right? Some of our older folks have pointed this out to me. Uh, Thank you uh, for that. I am fully aware of it as well before even Pilgrim, but I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm in process. If information automatically equaled transformation the first time you said something to me, I'd be transformed. As is the case, information alone does not equal transformation. And everyone said, amen? Okay. So, some of us believe if, hey, if we just have another Bible study, and yes, you should be using the, the, the narrative lectionary if you don't have a pattern of reading scripture. It's a great tool to get you into the scriptures. But some of us think if we just have another Bible study, we'll be transformed. Some of us think if we just go to another seminar, another seminar on, uh, on, on real estate investing, or if we go to another seminar on, or, or go for another degree, or if we, uh, you know, if we just get more information, our life will be changed. As someone who uh, struggles with wanting to make sure that I stay healthy, I am fully aware that there is a big difference between information about going and training at the gym and actually going and training at the gym. Huge difference. If information alone transformed me, wow, it'd be amazing, right? All of us. There is truth, of course, that in some sense there are some external behaviors that we need to make space for, and we do have to work at some behavioral modification, but ultimately, transformation Christianity declares that it has to start from your identity on the inside and how you relate to Jesus, and that will empower all kinds of other change in your life. But if you're simply trying to do change from the outside, that eventually you will exhaust yourself, or you will fail yourself, or you'll do really well in one area where the rest of the things that make you human suffer, or maybe if you're highly proficient, a couple areas, but another area is lacking immensely. And so we cast ourselves on the grace of Christ, And that grace of experiencing him on the inside opens us up to transformation. So let me talk a little more about how that actually happens, or one way that the scripture points to that in terms of how we are changed. I think that the main thing that we see here is that there is this use of a faculty that God has given us within our mind of imagination. And in the West, we've been taught that imagination is just make-believe, and it's all internal, like we just produce it alone. But the ancients did not see it that way at all. In fact, they saw it as this faculty 
within the Hebrew and Christian tradition of where we encounter God's spirit. And that so when Paul says, take captive every thought, take captive every imagination and make it obedient to Christ, he's saying that there's a faculty within you that you have say so over in spite of what else might be happening. And in that place, God can speak to you and can make God's self present to you. Today, we are dealing with a massive battle, though, as relates to things like our technologies. We're dealing with a massive battle of the numbing of our mind. In fact, I just read some, there's more and more research coming out saying that schools are saying, get rid of all the screens, that in fact, when you read a paper book, there's a deep reading that takes place, that when you read on the screen, your mind's been trained to do superficial thinking where you bounce from thing to thing versus going deeply and imaginatively into the text. And so schools are slowly moving away from getting rid of all screens because they're realizing we're losing the faculty. Even in our secular world, it's coming around to what I would call a more biblical view of how the mind works and how deeply we can be changed by it. So there's this numbing that we fight. In fact, I encourage you in church not to be, uh, uh, you know, I have Mennonite family, not to be like old school Mennonite, but a little bit is true that it's actually better to take paper notes. And now the research is even lining with that. So what I've been saying for years, I'm now uh, affirmed by the secular world. Isn't that lovely? Okay. But some of you found that that's, it is kind of funny, but anyway, so let's go on. Not just me, by the way, but so imagination, what is this imagination? It's the mind's ability, your mind's ability to evoke images of things that are not physically present and ideas as well, but actual concrete images of things. If I tell you this morning to think about my wife who's serving downstairs with kids uh, today, you're probably not going to think of a list of words about my wife. You're probably going to get an image of her in your mind. If I get an image of my wife in my mind, that's a, this is a concrete representation, a representation of her within my thoughts, and it can affect me, and it can affect my present experience. If I get an image of my wife in my mind and, uh, and she's saying or doing something loving towards me, then I'm going to have loving emotions towards her, even though a, a real sort of in this uh, live before me isn't taking place, but in my mind. And the next time I see her, I probably will have positive thoughts towards her as well. Now, if I have an image of my mind and my wife is, uh, well, you know, we're a little feisty. I mean, none of you are, of course, I'm sure, in any of your relationships, but... Let's just say we're having a heated discussion, shall we? And that's in my mind, and it's in my imagination. It's not happening in this sort of uh, actual life, but in the mind's eye, as it were. The next time I see her, I'm probably going to approach her differently than if I had the loving picture of her in my mind. That's how powerful the faculty of imagination is in our mind. It can shape our behaviors and transformation. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Take control, captive every thought and imagination. Make it obedient to what Jesus says about who you are and who we are and what he desires in the world for the good of others. Information is abstract, but imagination is concrete and helps us shape. Are you tracking with what I'm laying down here this morning? Do you, am, I, am I putting it in normal enough language? I know sometimes I can geek out. I'm just trying to... This faculty is God-given. If you're struggling with your experience of the Lord, maybe you're, you're like the old, the, old, uh, the old priest Eli who maybe didn't care so much or maybe he just got dulled or numbed, but he knew enough in the past that he could tell Samuel, God is trying to speak to you, respond and speak to him. Whether Samuel did that aloud or whether it did it in his mind, or whether it was vision, we, I, I would guess in, uh, that it was mostly this idea of vision or representation. 
Scripture is full of these encounters. Let's move on again this morning. So Scripture is full of experiential encounters. This idea of spiritual hearing and seeing. What we might in modern language say our holy or set-apart imagination. Full of it. For instance, uh, we have this, again, this assumption that we think imagination only starts in us alone. But what Scripture tells us is that God will speak there as well as other influences as well. While the Lord did in some cases interact with people in a physically observable way, most of it's happening within the faculty of the mind, within this set-aside faculty that God has given us in our imagination. God's ordinary way, hear this this morning, to speak and to appear to those who have honed, is to speak and to appear to those who have honed their spiritual capacities to hear and see spiritual realities. This is not make-believe, this is a gift. Culture wants to tell you that it's only in your mind, but it's far beyond that, and the impact is far greater. So I want to encourage you today to cultivate that. In Ezekiel, it tells us this, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see. Physically, they can see, but they do not see. He's talking about spiritual seeing. And ears to hear. They physically can hear, you know, wavelengths with the auditory spectrum of humans, but they do not hear, he says. For they are rebellious people. This idea of spiritual seeing and hearing is woven in scripture. Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. They all could hear what he's saying. We're recording it, but there's something about honing a faculty to discern and to hear that God is speaking to us in our minds. Matthew 13, verses 9 through 15 says this, he who has ears, let him hear. And he says this about the purpose of the parables. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, it is so you have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. Verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he says this, Matthew 13, 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And and I could trot out many, many, many more verses to this effect. But this is the thing. To experience transformation, we must hone this sense of hearing from the Lord. I would dare say that for some of us at different points in our life, we sense God's voice. We saw or encountered God in our imagination at one point, but then we pushed it away or we believed a lie that it was only internal. And then we we sort of shut it out and slowly, slowly, slowly we numb ourselves to that. And some of you may be going through the motions of Christianity this morning. You have the information. You're doing it out of loyalty. You're doing it out of maybe some good things of love. But your own vibrancy has died because you have failed to cultivate that space. I want to encourage you to cultivate that imagination once again. One author puts it this way. To many modern people, saying dreams or visions took place in the imagination sounds like we're denying that they're authentic. We often identify imagination with make-believe, but ancient people in general and people in biblical times in particular did not. Rather, they understood that the imagination was a means through which God communicated with his people. God spoke to his people by inspiring what passes through the mind. While they were asleep or awake, dreams or visions, God communicated to those who were receptive to the things he wished them to hear and to see. I submit to you this morning that God is still sending those signals. 
To you as an individual, he wants to speak to you personally, and he will do that through the faculty of the holy imagination within your mind. He wants to speak to you, each one of you. Look at your neighbor today and say, he wants to speak to you. Okay, let's try it one more time. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to speak to you. (laughs) He's still sending signals. But here's the thing. In our day, it's even tougher because we don't have as much solitude anymore. The joys of our interconnectedness, our global technology, is all of the tearing down of certain walls, but it's put up different walls in its place. Right now, as I speak to you and you're in this room, some of you are distracted by your technology because your brains have been trained by the dopamine and the different hits within the chemicals that the advertisers and the governments and all of us want to keep you constantly pinging so you're not hearing your own thoughts, let alone the thoughts of God speaking to you. Learning solitude. Learning to focus again. This is important for your mental health and your spiritual health. The, you know, the joke in the cartoon is sort of the distraction of the squirrel. If you're in church and you find it hard to listen to a sermon, I dare say that you have that squirrel thing going on. Maybe you need to lay down those things and and learn to dig deeply. And I love you. I'm saying it's not because I'm trying to be mean. I'm saying it's because you have a holy imagination. You have a faculty, and there's an enemy that doesn't want you to discover and dig deeply into it. When we worship, well, I'm getting to the rest of my sermon here. I'll, I'll pick that up in a second. Neuroscientist Marianne Wolf explains, in terms of this deep reading, which I think is directly related, that reading is not hardwired into the human brain the way our language is. Not only does the remarkable plasticity of the human brain make reading possible, but the activity of reading creates new circuits in the brain. And these aid in learning abstract and creative concepts that go beyond the brain's genetically programmed functioning. This extraordinary cerebral complexity. Deep reading develops new pathways within the mind because it's causing us to stop and to focus and to go deeply into the text and using that imagination, whether it's factual information or fictional information, this, it creates something new within the brain. She says, all our reading habits, therefore, have the potential to shape our brains for good or for ill. Why is there such a fight now for Christians to read the Bible? Because I think our brains were losing a capacity For all the gains of technology, we're losing something that makes all of it worth living. It says, cognitive science shows that our brains work one way when accustomed to reading in illogical linear patterns and another way when bouncing from tweet to tweet, Instagram picture to Instagram picture, and screen to screen. Her research shows that the reading on digital devices does not create the same kind of brain circuits as deep reading. And I would add this and talk about the use of solitude and thinking deeply And being alone with our thoughts and then realizing that God and there's other influences as well on our thoughts that speak to us in that. So what's one main application this morning? Very simply, we must cultivate the spiritual capacity for an inner life. If you want to hear and see from the Lord personally, you must create space, beloved brothers and sisters. You must be willing to do that. And this is how we live into ongoing transformation. Paul says it so Eloquently in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, again, verse 17 and 18, now where the Lord, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
When you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes and dwells within you. Before you're a Christian, the Spirit is working both in creation and around you. But when you say yes to Jesus, His very Spirit comes and dwells within you and communes with that, that piece of you that's within you that's most deeply you, your spirit and your soul. He says, now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So within each of you this morning, if you have said yes to Christ, the Spirit of God is inside of you, yearning to bring you to a freer and fuller humanity because of who He is. And he says this, verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, again, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Creating space and time in your life to imagine, to see yourself with Jesus is so important. This might look like every day or maybe once a week. Set aside some time. Put it in your phone, in your schedule that I'm going to ignore my phone and my screens and everything else, and I'm going to sit and be with Jesus. This is resting in Christ, ancient practice of the church. And when you do that, the environment isn't so important, but it should be a calm environment, ideally. You may want to darken it. You may want to make sure there's no music, no distractions. If you listen to music all the time, no music. If you don't, and it helps you, fine. And then begin to picture yourself meeting with Christ. And again, the image of Christ doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, when God puts on flesh, he had to pick a tribe and a people. He came down in first century Palestine. Uh, but whatever. He can be like the stained glass windows in North Dakota, white, blue-eyed Jesus. He can be Asian Jesus. He can be Chinese Jesus. He can be African Jesus. That's not, that's not the important part. It's the character. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen? It's the character. And you can picture yourself meeting with Jesus, and it, and the character is, is the look of Jesus towards you loving, all holy, good, perfect love. Is the, is the attitude towards Jesus, towards you, that of one who is more for you than you have ever and can ever be for you? And as you practice contemplating that, maybe that's too much. You start with the cross or the image of God who died in our place or God who died for his beloved creation, absorbing all the brokenness forward and backward in time. As you engage that, something will change within you. It will help you. And at first, it feel, may feel faked or forced. That's fine. Because if you have let this faculty grow on very dull, you're exercising this muscle for the first time, it's going to be painful and maybe hard to get through it. But as you do this, you begin to experience Christ in a visceral, real, concrete way in your mind. Oh, there's more to say. Doing this in normal life. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this, You are God's temple because His Spirit is within you. Don't just repeat the words of Scripture if you want to be changed. Imagine yourself in those times of solitude. Schedule them in your life. Imagine that you are a walking temple. And that could take a thousand different, because of every different person in this room. Maybe you're literally thinking that you look like Pilgrim Church and you're going to pretend this is a living building in that sense. And it's you, and you are this facility. And maybe you, in that time, you say, he says that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Imagine yourself full of God's goodness and light and glory and love and grace and transformation, that you are just jammed full of that, that you are a walking temple. Like a virtual reality machine, use all of your senses and ask the Holy Spirit to help you vividly and accurately play out the scenarios. Particularly ones where you have felt most empty and powerless. This can be applied also in going deep sometimes in woundedness, by the way. Where have you been wounded in the past? Begin to see Jesus in that place. 
Because if you don't, it will keep triggering you in the same way, but you can go back and represent your memories, but now you can take charge of those memories, bring God's peace and grace into the midst of it, and transformation. This is important spiritual exercise. What does this look like in worship? That's what it can look like in just normal prayer life. In worship, it seems that those who use their imagination can enter into worship way more than those that don't. I know we're getting to the end here, but let me just say this about worship. When we are singing the songs, the hymns were more information content, right? Some of them are beautiful imagery as well. But many of the hymns are information content, singing the theology, and they're really about the lyrics. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, and the music helps. But the music is trying to draw it into that, so you're sort of getting it deeper within you. Worship choruses and worship renewal is very ancient. Paul says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs making music in your heart to the Lord. But there's also this sense of using music and imagery together. When we sing something like, I see God high and lifted up, actually get an image of Jesus high and lifted up when you sing it. It will change how you worship. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? When we sing something about the glory of the Lord filling the earth, get an image of the uncreated light of God filling the earth and shining onto everyone and illuminating all darkness. When we talk about how I've been saved from whatever disaster, or the psalmist says, you lifted me out of the miry pit, get an image in your mind, if you sing some lyric like that, literally, of God reaching down with a hand, of course God is spirit, but use the imagery, and he lifts you up out of the pit. It will change how you worship. Sometimes in songs that are repetitive, like, we just sang that, why are we singing it again? Information does not equal transformation, fair enough but it's trying to get you into a meditative place, a Christian meditative place, which is filling us with the knowledge of Christ versus secular or, or non-Christian meditation, which generally is an emptiness to anything. This is a case of removing everything but Jesus, and the idea is that you're getting closer and drawing to him and changing the emotive state within that helps bring about real transformation. Well, let me finish this. Are you still with me? Amen? You wake? Is, this, is this making sense? Yes or no for, for some of you? If it's new to you, you may, you may have to listen again and, and unpack it or use the resources that we put in the newsletter and, and, and learn more. But prayer is the same thing. I've noticed people that usually pray with passion, something else is going on in their mind than just the words. They're engaging the imagery. When I pray for my daughter, whom I love, I know I'm dangerous, I'm picking on her again. It's been two weeks. This will be all good. I know, she can't get a break. Small church, sorry, honey. Uh, when I'm praying for her, I can just like name her and list a whole bunch of stuff going on. Lord, you know, be with her at school. God, thank you for her. Lord, thank you for having a teenager. Thank you that I've survived. And I mean, oh, that's, I mean, blessing her. If I'm praying for blessings for her, um, it's one thing for me to just list things off, it's another for me to imagine, Lord, fill Claire with your glory that she would know you personally. And if I imagine, I get a picture of Claire, if I'm not, obviously I'm sitting here in the same room, but when I'm praying, I'm usually not. I get a picture of Claire and I get a sense of just God's light, almost like this, this, this beautiful, you know, just beautiful golden sunshine just pouring down in her from heaven into her. I said, Lord, fill her with your spirit, fill her with your glory, help her as she struggles with the things in her life and thank you for the victories in her life changes how I pray for her if I get a picture of her in my mind and then I put that with Jesus together. If I'm praying for someone and we're praying for healing medically, supernaturally, however healing comes, we affirm all of it. 
I'll actually visualize oftentimes if I'm praying for a person, just God pouring his light and peace into that person that would do a recreative work in their body. Because I want my emotions, my holy imagination, and my, my information side of intellect all working together because that helps engage in transformation. I end by saying this. This is not new. This is all throughout Christian history. Second Corinthians, again, as we've read, chapter 3, verse 18, promises that if we learn to use our mind's eye, gazing on Christ in his glory, that's how we are changed. That is how we engage at the deepest level of our being. Information is not enough. So resting in Christ, spending time with Christ, solitude and silence and getting an image of Christ in our mind, making particular time and place is so important for true transformation. St. Ignatius of Loyola talked about this idea of the mind palace. It's also been ripped off by Sherlock Holmes, I might add. Um, But this idea, uh, St. Therese uh, uh, talks about this idea of inner castle, this place where we encounter Christ within our, using our mind's eye. You have a faculty, you have a muscle that most of us have neglected, or some of you are doing it, you just have never had words to put around it, to define it. But this is something that God has given you for hearing and seeing from him throughout your day. Again, rest with Christ. The character matters. The physical characteristics, not so much. (laughs) I want us to understand that in order to be changed, we have to start using our holy imagination. And some of you may say, oh, it's just a bunch of hooey, voodoo, whatever. I don't know. We all just became Southern Canadians. I don't know how that happened. But um, I challenge you to read through Scripture open every time it talks about hearing and seeing. What is it talking about? Is it talking about literal? In a few cases, it is certainly literal or in the physical. But most of the time, it's through the faculty of the mind and the spirit. And I also want us to dis... That's the word I'm looking for. I also want us to get out of this idea that that is just fake or make-believe. It's a lie. Your imagination, your thoughts are influenced, yes, by you, but your culture, by uh, the world around us. The Bible says also by the enemy wants to influence your thoughts, a spiritual enemy, but then also God can speak to us in that place. And that you have authority and say so over the thoughts and the images of your mind. But it's not enough just simply to have right information. You actually have the the right images and using all of the senses that you can muster, hearing and sight and sound and all of it, smell, all of it. Scripture says that I love this when it talks about the prayers of God's people. It says the prayers of God's people are like sweet incense before him. When you pray to the Lord at the very minimum, if you're just digging into this for the first time, imagine it as it were that your prayers are like sweet incense rising before God and God smells them and God sees the smoke and God responds and is pleased and there's a closeness that happens. All throughout scripture, this imagery is used. Take back your imagination Use it as not just about make-believe, but actually will empower you to make changes in what you might call your actual life or your life beyond your imagination. It is in that place of empowerment that we are changed. Just like hope, just like play, being caught up empowers you and brings you back out with new authority. This is a real thing. I challenge you to try it. Stand with me this morning. Let's, let's end this. Amen? So final words as we stand and we prepare to sing our way out. There are evil knockoffs. Don't send me all those emails. I know, yes, there's new age and there's this and there's that and yada, yada, yada. But just because they're evil knockoffs, that should tell you that there's something genuine there as well that can be rooted in Jesus that can change your life, okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? 
It's genuine knockoff, so, so understand there's also the great Christian tradition here. Final words number two, the healing of memories can happen through this. I don't have time to unpack all of that, but actually there is a way of spiritual counseling and therapy that can work with this as well. Working through those things that have been extremely bad or evil in our past by our choice or choices of others, there's actually power in this to take over and to, to re-represent those memories. If you want to learn more, use the resources there or talk to me and we can uh, dig into that a little more. And then the final challenge again is use your imagination for transformation and resting in Christ. I challenge you to do it daily. Set aside time, whether it's five minutes, may seem like eternity if you've been so, you know, hit on all your things, you know, getting that silence and solitude carved out. But if you can't do it daily, start weekly. Take some time to practice this. and See what happens, because information alone will not transform you. If it would, on the advent of Google, we all would be perfect human beings, and clearly, the evidence tells us we're not there. Um, it's not information alone. It's also the experiential aspect matters deeply. Let me pray, and then we'll be done. Lord, thank you. As we end this series on being triggered and dealing with it um, and finding ways to approach our triggers, both informal definition and informal in some cases, I ask that you would stir the hearts and minds and the imaginations of these people here. For some of us, we have been taught that only certain ways of thinking are effective or important or truthful, and we know that's not true. Jesus, you came down and you said, you didn't say, here's 10 truthful propositions. You said, I am truth. Embodiment, experiential, real flesh, truth. And so in some ways, we need to learn how to engage with you in our mind's eye and our spiritual seeing and hearing if we're truly going to be changed by truth, not just trying to try harder through behaviors, but rather develop those things that make space to encounter you at the deepest core of who we are. So Lord, I pray that as we wrap up this series, we would be people who engage, who don't just say whatever will be, will be, who are not just passive, but we take up our holy authority and say so, in our own lives, for the sake of ourselves and the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.